The following message entitled, How to Become Who You Are in Christ, Part 16 of the series, A Righteousness from God, was given by Bob Mundorf on May the 25th, 2014, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Morning. Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning. Father, we, we pray that as we, as we look at Your Word, which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that You would help us to focus, help us, Lord, to uh, get our minds engaged with Your Word and disengaged with any um, distracting thoughts that we might have in our, going on in our lives right now. Help us, Lord. We pray we're dependent upon You. We declare our dependence on You. We know that we can do nothing apart from You, Jesus. So make Your truth real to us this morning, we ask. Help it to change our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, I heard a story recently about a man who moved to Texas in the late 1800s, mid to late 1800s, and uh, this guy found some oil and became a multimillionaire. He didn't have any children, and he died without a will. So his lawyer began to search for his next of kin and the heir of his fortune. Found that he had a sister in Philadelphia, but the sister had passed away too. And it was later found that his closest living relative was this sister's grandson in Philadelphia who was a tramp and a beggar on the streets. So the millionaire's lawyer did his research and he, he found that this was true. This guy was living on the streets. He was the next of kin. And he was the grandson of this sister. So this uh, lawyer after confirming this, took a token of the estate, transferred it to a bank in Philadelphia, and put it in an account under this beggar's name. Now, imagine the scene as this lawyer starts walking down the street in Philly toward where this guy is is living. He's walking down the street, he approaches this junkyard, and over in the corner of the junkyard he sees this man, this beggar, sitting there dirty, filthy, wearing rags, eating from a garbage can. And he stops before he gets up to him and and thinks to himself, that man is a multi-millionaire. So the lawyer moves over to him and says, Sir, I have just deposited $1 million in a bank account under your name. It sits in the bank just around the corner, free for you to go and draw from anytime you're ready. And there are $29 million more to come. You've just inherited $30 million. Now, here's the point of this story. The situation is this. That man in his condition, right now in his condition, is a beggar and a tramp. But in his position... He's a multi-millionaire. The question for us is this. Why is it that that many of us Christians who in our position are justified in Jesus Christ are conditionally living like we're spiritual beggars? 
That's what I would like to answer today and bring God's Word into this so that this doesn't happen to us. See, this, the beggar in this story, at this point, he faces an option. He has a choice. His option is this. He can, he can just continue eating out of the garbage and not believe what the lawyer told him, scoff and laugh about it. Or, he can believe the lawyer and choose to become, in his condition, what he actually is in his position. That's what we're going to talk about today. Last week, we moved into chapter 6 of Romans, a new chapter. Not just a new chapter because it's chapter 6, but a whole new section of Romans. The first five chapters talked a lot about our justification, our position that we have in Jesus Christ. We're forgiven of our sins. We're new creations. We've been declared righteous legally by God because we've believed in Jesus Christ. Now, beginning in chapter 6 and moving forward, Paul's going to tell us how to actually grow into what God has declared us to be. So we're going to bring our spiritual condition in line with our spiritual position. And we talked about how our spiritual position, being justified, being declared righteous, was a a one-time, instantaneous act. The moment we believed in Jesus Christ as our God and our Savior, and it was all of God. It was... It was all Him. We had nothing to do with it other than to just believe this message about Him. It required no human effort whatsoever. We talked about that back in chapter 3. We believe that one is justified by faith apart from works, apart from human performance or effort. Now, we're going to see that this kind of righteousness that God's calling us to, this what, we, what I like to call experiential righteousness or Actual righteousness, practical righteousness, requires both God and our effort. We're going to see that this morning. We began to see it last week as Joe began to teach on Romans chapter 6. And this comes by both believing and acting out what God has done in our lives. So this is, this is we're getting into the, the section of Romans where the rubber meets the road. This is the really practical section of how to live out this Christian life. And this morning, I want to highlight something that Joe said last week and build on that up through verse 14 of Romans chapter 6 and divide this section of the Scriptures up into four parts. Four parts that will show us four sequential steps to become who we really are in Christ. Now, these are sequential steps and that means that they've got to be done in order. And they also have to all be done for you to fully be able to draw from that spiritual bank account that God has given us in this new life in Christ. So, back in last week's sermon, chapter 6, verse 4, Joe talked about how this, this section of Scripture shows us how to walk in newness of life. How to walk in newness of life. How, walk is the Bible word for just everyday practice just doing the Christian life, practicing the Christian life. These four steps, if you do these four steps, and I don't want to oversimplify it because I'm taking it from this chapter, but in, in trying to rightly divide the Word, 
if you do these four steps, you will walk in newness of life. You will become in your condition what God has declared you to be in your position. So here they are. How to become who you are in Christ. First, you've got to know something. We're going to talk about each of these. You've got to know. Then you've got to consider this something. Then you've got to choose. There comes a point where you've got to make a choice. It's decision time. And then, lastly, you present. So let's talk about these. Let's start with no. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on no because just highlighting and reinforcing uh, one of the points that Joe made last week, but it fits into the, the, the process. So we've got to know something. We've got to know that we are identified with Christ. And I want to identify this very clearly as the first step and an essential step in this process. In order to become who you really are, you've got to have this principle of knowledge. Romans 6.6 6 says this, We know, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We know this. This is information. This is truth that God is giving us in His Word. This is doctrine that Joe taught us last week. And we've got to know this. We've got to know that we were crucified with Him. The old you, the old me, after we believed in Jesus, was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, rendered powerless in our lives. Now, I know it doesn't feel that way, so track with me for the rest of the points. But we've got to know this. We've got a supernatural bank account, unlimited, unlimited power to draw from in Jesus Christ. And we can draw from this account each and every time we're tempted to sin. Every day, 24-7, we can draw from this account. Now, I, I know that sometimes Christians can downplay head knowledge or Bible doctrine in favor of just living out the Christian life. You know, and, and Christians can say, you know, maybe this church or that church just puts too much emphasis on, on doctrine, on teaching Bible truth and building knowledge. But I want to tell you that doctrine, knowledge, orthodoxy must always precede orthopraxy. That means practicing right biblical truth. You've got to know before you can practice. You've got to know the truth before you can change your life. And that's really the way the Bible works. The Bible always gives us truth. Something, something God has done. Something that is true for you and I before we're called to practice it. God's not going to just tell us, go do this without hinging it on a biblical truth. So we've got to know. Knowledge always precedes Christian action. If the tramp on the streets of Philly didn't know his new position, that he was a multimillionaire, he would have never done anything about it. We've got to know the truth that sets us free. Now, when it comes to ability to live the Christian life, ability to live the Christian life, we're no longer on our own. That's what Joe taught us last week. We're, we're plugged in to 
not just like a, a 110 outlet. We're plugged into the whole power plant of Jesus Christ. And, and not only that, actually, the power plant has been moved inside of us because we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Listen to these verses. Listen to the truth of God's Word. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's a verse that should be memorized for the Christian. We, we need to know this. Or how about Colossians 1.29, Paul said, For this I toil, struggling. I like this because he's talking about how he's doing this. For this I toil, struggling. And then he says, with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. See, God is working within you. God can work within you. You've got to know this. Something big has happened under the hood, behind the scenes. There's been a big change, and you might not know it. You know, for some of you, you might be like, why didn't anybody ever tell me this? Others, though, I expect, might be thinking something like, okay, I get this. You tell me this all the time. Um, but guess what? I'm, I'm still sinning. Guess what? I'm, I'm still getting angry every day. I know this stuff, but um, I'm still getting drunk. I'm still looking at Internet pornography. I'm still having a hard time reading my Bible. I'm still going through this revolving door of not walking in newness of life. So what's the deal, Pastor? What's the deal? Well, that's, that's why this is a four-step process. You can know this truth, and that is essential. But if you just stop there, you're, you're, you're stopping your spiritual progress. There's more to it than that. There's more you've got to do. And I, I know that sometimes, sometimes we, meaning me and some of the other, the other pastors, we, and I think every Christian can do this, we can make it seem like if you just read the Bible, then transformation is automatic. All you've got to do is read the Bible. And... Uh, it's like um, you know, programming the Romans6.exe command prompt into your brain and you will all the time, every day from here on out, obey God because you read Romans 6. I know we can make it seem like that. I want to tell you, I want to stress, it is an essential ingredient and you cannot make progress without it. But you can also just be a hearer of the Word and not a doer only and make no progress. So there's more to it. It's like when I was a kid, I watched G.I. Joe all the time, that old cartoon. If you're in your 30s or 40s, you might remember it. And I don't know if you do, but he said at the end of every cartoon, he gave this corny public service announcement, you know, like telling kids not to touch down power lines. And uh, he would say at the end of that, he would say, and now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Well, knowing is really in Romans 6, one-fourth of the battle. But it's a big part of it. So we've got to know the truth. It's not, it doesn't happen automatically. We're not guaranteed to walk in newness of life. We've got to do something else. Actually, three more things as I read Romans 6. And that leads us to the second point, the second step. Consider. This comes from Romans 6.11. Joe hit on it a bit last week as well. Uh, Romans 6.11 says, So 
you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The second step to becoming who you are in Christ is to not just know, but to consider this. Consider comes from the Greek word logizomai. And it was a courtroom word. Actually, Paul used this word 11 times back in chapters 2 through 4 in that courtroom scenario that he was working through in chapters 2 through 4. And it, it's, a, it's a word that meant then and means now to, like for a judge to look at the evidence, to examine all of the evidence, and then in light of that ev- evidence, to regard something as true. And it includes that whole process. It's also a bookkeeping term. So a, uh, a store owner or a, an accountant or a tax collector would have done this logizomai back in Old Testament times when they calculated and counted all the cash, all their sales, all the receipts, um, just counted and calculated all this, thought through it, meditated on it, considered it, um, computed it, and then wrote in the total uh, bottom line of their ledger where they ended up at the end of the day. That, that's what this word means. It's just to consider, to consider, to think about something, to remember it, especially when you're feeling pressure, that pressure to sin. You know that pressure that we feel to sin? The Bible calls it temptation. That's when we need to do this most. But we need to do it all the time. We need to consider what we know. And so some might be thinking now, and I know this because I I go through all these thought processes, some might be thinking, well, that's nothing more than just um, brainwashing yourself. It's like the power of positive thinking. Um, You just got to kind of tell yourself over and over until you believe it. Like that, I can't remember that guy Mark always mentions in the um, the movie that looks in the mirror and says, "I'm good enough." Um, what's he say, Mark? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. You just look in the mirror, keep telling yourself that over and over again, and then you'll get a good job that pays you millions of dollars a year, and nothing will ever go wrong. That's not what this is. This is not the power of positive thinking. This is the power of biblical thinking right here. Huge difference. This this truth is, well, it's true. It's based on God's Word. God who cannot lie. And so we've got to transform our minds by the renewing of the Word of God rather than having our minds be conformed to the world. And if you want to call it brainwashing, I'm fine with that. Because Titus tell us, tells us to, to wash ourselves by the renewing of the Word, with the Word of God, and be sanctified. And you know what? It, you're going to be brainwashed. Everyone is going to be brainwashed by something. Let's make it God's Word. If, if you're not going to be brainwashed by God's Word, there are three huge enemies out there waiting just to, to transform or conform your brain into something else. Got Satan, the tempter, who really wants to transform our brain. We've got our flesh, and we've got the world, the three enemies of the Christian. And they're going to get a hold of it if you're not proactively transforming 
your mind, brainwashing yourself with God's Word. So I'm okay with brainwash. I think every Christian should be brainwashed by God's Word. So the power of biblical thinking, that's considering yourself dead to sin. Tell yourself that. Write it on a paper and stick it on your fridge. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Write it in the ledger of your life as a fact, whether you feel like it or not. Because I believe God's Word, not my feelings. So, it's really a battle of the truth versus our feelings. That's what, that's what this is. And we've got to consider this truth all the time or our feelings are just going to take over. It's kind of like, I think of um, gears, like big gears that are turning. And you've got God's Word over here, and you've got your feelings over here, and you're going to engage in one of those gears and let them drive you. We've got to engage in God's Word. That's what it means to know and to consider ourselves dead to sin. Now, that's part of it, but it's not done yet. There's another step, and that leads us to step three. And this is, this is a big one. Choose. Choose. This is what it all comes down to. This really is where the rubber meets the road. This is decision time. This is the point in time when you really feel that pressure to sin. You're really being tempted. You're getting angry. You're getting stirred up. You're tempted to look at something you shouldn't. You're tempted to take something you shouldn't. You've got to choose. Look at Romans 6.12. Romans 6.12 says this, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not let sin do this. In every Christian's life, there comes a time, actually there come, comes millions of times, probably dozens every day, when you have to make a decision. A split-second window where you're presented with this opportunity to sin. And the Holy Spirit, Spirit brings to your mind the fact that that is a sin and gives you this way of escape, this window of opportunity where you need to choose right then. And what you do in that window will determine what you do with that opportunity. And we're told here, what to do, or actually we're told what not to do first. Let, uh, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to, uh, to make you obey its passions. Alright, let's talk about this for a minute. The problem here that I think we're all thinking about when we think it doesn't feel like I'm dead to sin and alive to God is that we've got this old man that we still carry around, this old person. This, we're all new creations in Christ if we've believed in Him. But we're not completely, completely redeemed yet. It won't happen until Jesus comes back and gives us a new body. We carry around this old body, this old body where, where these passions, as it says in verse 12, still dwell. That's our flesh. Every time you're tempted, that's what's happening. This, this dead part of you that God's Word says is dead tries to revive itself and then you suddenly don't feel like that part of you is so dead anymore. 
It's the part of you that craves any kind of evil desire that the old you used to crave and feed it all the time. That's the part of you we're talking about. Later on, as we get to Romans 7, we'll talk more about this. Paul actually calls it a body of death. The same thing as it says in verse 12, your mortal body. Paul uses a, different, a little bit of a different way to say it. calls it our body of death that we carry around with us. And he says, who will free me from this body of death? He's feeling it, just like you and I feel it all the time. And he says, thanks be to Jesus Christ our Lord. One day, when He comes back, we lose this flesh that carries these sinful passions and desires. It's important to know that we still have them and acknowledge this, though. We're going to talk a little bit more about it next week as well. But for now, here's what you need to know when that old man, that old person that you used to be, that you still carry around, comes a-calling. Here's what you need to know when that sin pressure inside you says, give me this, give me this. You've got to put a DNR order on him. That's what God tells you to do here in this verse. Put a DNR. You know what a DNR order is? Do not resuscitate. Do not resuscitate this dead man that you carry around with you. It's, it's really like he's this zombie that is dead. That's how I like to think of it. That if you resuscitate that zombie by giving it what it wants, in other words, if you do exactly what Paul's telling you not to do in verse 12, if you let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, then you're resuscitating that zombie. Here, here's what the zombie's like. Whenever, uh, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I guess it was, my son Abe and I went for a walk in the woods. And, uh, well, I guess it was back in deer season last year. I'm really bad with time. So last year we went for a walk in the woods. It was a warm day, and uh, the ticks are really bad when you go in the woods. You get these little ugly, nasty bugs called ticks on you, and uh, they like to attach themselves to your body and suck your blood out, and that's how they live. Well, I noticed that on the end of this little branch that was about a foot or two off the ground, there was this cluster of like ten ticks on the end. And that's what they do. They get on the end of a little branch or a piece of grass or something, and then they have these arms in the front with these hooks on the front of their arms. And they hook onto you when you come by. And I said, Abe, look at this. Now imagine this is the end of the branch, and here's these, this cluster of ticks. I said, when, when we get close to them, they all like synchronized swimmers put their arms up like this. And then when we back off, they go like this. And so we're like going like this and making them go like this. And they're all doing it at the same time. You know why they do that? They do it because they're, they're sensing this body heat, I guess, coming close to them, and they're getting ready to hook on to whatever brushes against them so they can leech onto you and suck your blood. That's really a picture of this body of death, this flesh that we carry around. It just senses any sinful desire, passion that gets close to us. And it's like, ooh, you know, it's, it, it, you, you feel it. You know what I mean. It like picks up on that like a heat seeker missile. It's just like, ooh, you know, you've you got to remember, it's dead. You can't resuscitate that thing. Or you'll give it what it wants and you'll be letting it rain in your mortal body. God freed us 
so that we can make this choice. That's what it means when we use the Bible word redeemed. We've been redeemed. That's what it means. We were a slave to sin. That's all we could do before. We didn't have power over it. Now, I know that non-Christians can fight addictions. Non-Christians can um, you know, turn away from sin. But it's not the same to God. To God, only what's done in Christ matters and lasts. And so, even when they're doing good, to God it's still sin. Their righteousness is like filthy rags. But we've been redeemed as Christians, and we don't have to do this anymore. We don't have to let sin reign in our mortal body to make us obey its passions. God's given us a choice. This is, uh, this is where free will really comes down and can be practiced in God's Word. Every Christian now that's been redeemed has the free will to choose who they will present their bodies, their members to. Will you present it to God as instruments of righteousness or to uh, the, the zombie, let's call him, to Satan? And we're going to talk about that next. But just to, to wrap up this third step, choosing. Listen, God has empowered us. He's given us the ability. So it's almost like the ball's in our court now. He, he's done it. He's, he's made the ball. He, it's, it works. He's given it to us. He's passed it to us. He's told us what to do with it. And now the ball's in our court, and we've got to see here in step four what we do with it. So this step is the last one, and it is present. Present. This comes from Romans 6, 13 and 14. It says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's, let's take this apart. When I said the ball's in your court, I mean that God's done everything that He, has, that he needs to do to give us the ability. He's, he's filled our spiritual bank account up with adequate resources to fight every temptation. The Bible says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with every temptation, every temptation will make a way of escape. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us His power. Now we can truly say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because we have this potential in Christ to become who we are. Now, I know it's going to take, it's a process. It's going to take our whole life. None of us are going to be perfect, like from now on. But I know that we can all do a lot better than what we've been doing. If we really believe this, consider this, choose at every moment, and then present. So, God's given us the ability. He's given us the game plan. He's told us what to do. It's, it's our move. It's our move. And we've got to make a, a proper presentation to Him. That's what this is about. This is about presenting our members. So first he tells us what not to do in our presentation. And think of your life now like a presentation. That's really what it is. It's, it's a presentation to God. 
We've got to think of our lives that way. Here's what not to do. Verse 13. Do not present your members to, as, to sin as instruments for righteousness. See, presenting your members to sin is like giving your body parts to that zombie to take control of. Your, your members are just your body parts. Okay? Your members... Members here are just another word for parts of your body. So Paul's getting really practical here. And he's, he's talking about your tongue, the words you say, your vocal cords. He's talking about your fingers, your arms, your brain, your, I'm going to say your genitalia, your eyes, your feet, your whole body. Every part of your body is a member that you have a choice. You can present it to God or you can present it to sin. And that's what he's telling us to do here. He's telling us not to present it to sin. So think of that, that body of flesh, that thing I like to call the zombie. It, your members are its old stomping ground. It used to roll over them. It used to completely control them when you were only living in it. You weren't at at one point in our lives, we weren't yet new creations. Our God's Spirit hadn't joined with our spirit to make us new. And that zombie, that body of flesh, just did whatever it wanted to do. And when we present our members to Him, we're presenting our members to Him as instruments of unrighteousness and saying, basically, go ahead and take you know, my vocal cord or my ear or my eyes, whatever, and do with what I know you want to do with them with. Sorry. Um, you know what I mean. Um, so, anyways, here, here's, here's the thing. If a Christian entertains, um, let's say a Christian entertains homosexual thoughts or any sexually immoral thoughts, a Christian is presenting his mind, his brain, to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness at that point. And I love what Mark has said before, that we can't always help what thoughts are presented to our mind. Satan will present all kinds of evil thoughts to our minds. But we can help what we open the gate of our mind up to and say, hey, come on in, I'm going to entertain you. There's that point, remember, where we have to choose That's what the Bible means when it says take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You've got to cut it at the thought. You've got to cut it at the thought. So a Christian can present his mind, his brain, to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness. Um, A Christian who's giving in to a drug or an alcohol addiction is presenting her members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. A Christian who is craving or coveting, craving is just another word for coveting, uh, material possessions. Like, I love that house, I want it so bad, I can't stop thinking about it, or, or electronic devices, or cars, or clothes, or whatever. Um, material things. A Christian can continue to crave those things in a sinful way and seeing, you know, if you're looking at the catalogs or looking online or, or going to the mall all the time and just looking at things you want, 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 you're giving your eyes, you're presenting your eyes as members of unrighteousness to sin. 
We can do that in a number of different ways. Christians who love to listen to gossip or slander. Proverbs say that gossip's like a tender morsel. It's like, ooh, you know, you hear this news about someone that you shouldn't be hearing, and then you're like, ooh. You present your ear to sin. Gossip's a sin. Slander's a sin. You're presenting your ear as an instrument of unrighteousness. You get the point. That's, that's what we have to deal with for the rest of our lives. We have to not present our members to, as, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Because when we do, we're resuscitating the zombie. We're, we're, we're going to talk about this more in depth next, next week, but we're actually worshiping sin when we present our members to sin. But we can worship God when we present our members to Him. So, this is what we've got to do. The second half of that verse, 13b, said what not to do first. Here's what we should do. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So because we're united to Christ, we can do this now. He wouldn't tell us to do something that He hasn't enabled us to do. And so we can do this. Now, like I said, the devil, your flesh, the world will lie to you. Your circumstances will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you because they originate from the zombie. They don't want you to believe this. But this is true. You can do this now because of everything Paul said in this whole book before up to this point. So, I talked about it a little bit, but when I think about how do we do this, I would encourage all of us to start with what I feel is our most important member to present to God as an instrument of righteousness. And, and that would be our, our brain, our mind, our, the control center of our body, our thought life, our just what are you thinking about all the time. You can give that to God. As a matter of fact, we're told to, the Scripture tells us, all over the place. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. Or Colossians 3 tells us, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. We've got to think, what's, what are we thinking about as Christians? What's driving our thoughts? Answer that question and it's really going to help you. What do you think about most of the time? You think about money. You think about your job. You think about your kids. You think about your house. You think about your family. You think about your friends. What is it that you spend the most time thinking about? My, uh, we're looking for a house lately. We've been looking at houses. We want to move closer to town because we um, we want to be closer to all of you, really. And uh, we're about a half hour away. And so we've been looking at these houses. And this is it's so easy to just let that control our mind. Jane and I were talking about this um, the other day. You know, it, it can just take over. And I know you have to think about it some, but what was happening was it was just smothering biblical truth and spiritual things. And, and I said, Jane, we have to, um, you know, like put Christian music on in the house. We have to, be, you know, when we're walking together, listen to, listen to a sermon or something, um, just so that we're not constantly thinking about this. We need to present our minds, our brains, to God as instruments of righteousness. So examine yourselves to see, what do I think about most? And 
just start listening to sermons, reading your reading the word. Just start considering this stuff. That's how you present your your mind to God. You can't serve two masters. So we've got to we've got to be proactive. We've got to be intentional in this or our minds will just start drifting like into default mode, which isn't this stuff that we're talking about. We've because our minds, remember our brains are a part of our flesh. They're they're one of our members. They're the part of us that hasn't yet been redeemed completely. We've got this other powerhouse of a part of us now, the Holy Spirit, who's come to live in us, to, to take control of our mind if we let Him. So we've got to yield to one thing or the other. So I would start with the, the mind. Romans 12.2 encourages us in this way as it says, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we've got to, we've got to fortify our minds with very large doses of truth from God's Word. Here's a great place that I would recommend starting if you want to take your spiritual vitamins to fortify your mind. Psalm 119 is a great place to start. Read and, and pray through Psalm 119. It will give you such fortification that your mind will begin to be healthier and you'll be more drawn to God's Word than ever, I believe. That's what it's done for me. So, I just read Romans 12 too about being not conformed to the world, but the verse right before that, I want to... I want to just throw this out there too because it's really helpful under this point of presenting. Romans 12.1, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present, there's that word again, present your bodies. He's talking about your whole bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, this, this is saying that as we do this fourth step, as we present our bodies, all of our members collectively as a whole, or any of your members really, to God, we're worshiping Him. We're worshiping God as we come to the point in time where we have a choice. And we have to choose, am I going to present my members to sin? Am I going to present my members to God? I'm going to choose God. And I'm going to worship Him by presenting Him my members, Lord, take over. I'm yielding to You. I'm engaging in this wonderful giant gear that You've taught us in the book of Romans so far that I have the power when I engage in You. That's what walking in the Spirit is, just engaging in this truth and yielding to it and living it out. That's, that's what we need to do at the point in time especially when we're tempted. And we're going to, by the way, I want to, next week, we're going to go in there. That's where Paul goes in chapter 6. We're going to finish out the rest of the chapter and go into much more detail on that, that principle. So whether you feel this way or not, whether you feel like you can do this or not, if you're a believer in Jesus, this is true for you. And I just want to clarify, emphasize again, Satan will lie to you. He's the father of lies. His 
I think one of his biggest goals for the Christian is to destroy your faith, your belief in this truth, by telling you, you'll never get victory over that sin. You will never be able to do this. That's what he wants to do. That's, those are some of the thoughts that he brings into our minds that we've got to take captive and cut right away and replace by considering these truths. So we've got to know it. We've got to consider it. We've got to choose. And we've got to present. And Paul wraps this all up nicely in verse 14 where he says, For sin will have no dominion over you since... Key word, since. This is, a, this is an explanatory clause. Since or because you are not under law but under grace. This is why we can do this. See, living under the law, living under the law is living under the power of sin. We're going to see this in two weeks, very clearly at the beginning of Romans 7. When we live under the law, we're living under the power of sin. If we're trying to get to God by keeping laws, that's the wrong way to do it. We're living under the power of sin when we do that. But on the contrary, living under grace... We are under grace, and living under grace grants us the power to overcome sin. Living under grace is engaging in that gear that is this wonderful truth. The Holy Spirit is in us, and we can walk in Him when we yield to Him. That's living under grace. We don't deserve any of that, but God has redeemed us from the slavery of this side and transferred us to this side that we can do this now. That's grace. And the law will help us not at all. But living under grace will. We're going to see this so much more in the next couple of chapters. I'm excited about it. But we need to understand at this point that grace goes far beyond just forgiveness of sins. It's a huge part of the word grace. It's big, but grace goes way beyond that. Grace is how we live our whole Christian life. Colossians tells us, just as you received the Lord, so walk in Him. We received Him by grace, by believing the Gospel. We need to walk in Him now in the very same way. By, by grace, by knowing His Word, considering His Word, choosing or yielding to Him and presenting our members to Him. So, there's been this mega transfer of power that's occurred in our, our lives as Christians. We've got to know this. We've got to consider it. For it to be real. Now, just like that dead man, that zombie, used to rule you, you can now be ruled by the Lord Jesus. Grace breaks the power of sin. That's what this is all about. So because of grace, we know that we've been identified with Jesus Christ. We've been united with Him. By His grace, we can consider ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. By His grace, we can choose. We can choose to never again let sin reign over our mortal bodies. And by His grace, we can present our members to God as instruments of righteousness. So here's the thing with this. Just like that beggar on the street at the beginning of the sermon, you face an option today. You can continue to live in rags and eat out of the garbage can of sin. Or, 
beginning today, you can choose to become in your condition who you really are in your position in Christ. My exhortation to all of us, myself included, is this. Let's live like the people that God has freed us to be. And it happens one decision at a time. Let's have the band come up and pray. Father, we thank You for Your powerful Word. Without it, we would be lost. Your Word really is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we thank You for Your powerful Spirit that works in us, that energizes us to be able to obey what You've commanded us to do, Lord. Lord, we know that we can't do it in and of ourselves, but only when we engage in this grace that we are hearing about today. Only when we yield to You. Help us at the point of every decision, Lord, when we're tempted, when we're feeling pressure to sin, to engage in this opportunity that You've given us, Lord. Lord, bring Your Word to life in those who um, maybe heard this a number of times before. They've heard this. But as You do so often, You... You bring it to life. You That seed that was laying dormant, You help it to begin to grow and sprout. And we pray, Lord, that You would do this this morning. That You would help us to grow into who we really are in You. In Jesus' name, Amen.